We're going to read now Psalm 136. So if you could be taking your Bibles, that would be great. I think this is a psalm that is supposed to be read responsively. <coughs> that is, in parts, uh, with somebody reading some of it and somebody reading the rest. So you're joining in. Your name is on the road tonight, whether you knew it or not, to help me with the reading. Uh, you'll see on the screen and you'll see... Whoa, that's quite a lot of text, isn't it? You'll see in your Bibles as well... Um, there's a repeated phrase. Uh, again, if you've got it in your printed Bibles, you'll see it's put to one side and in italics. His love endures forever. That is the bit I'd like us all to read together. It may get a bit repetitive. Hopefully, by saying it a lot, we will get the message. And by the time we've said it, by the time we've heard the sermon on this later on, we might actually start to believe it, that God's love really does endure Forever. So I'll read the normal bits. Let's all join in together for that refrain. Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders. His love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens. His love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. His love endures forever. Who made the great lights. His love endures forever. The sun to govern the day. His love endures forever. The moon and stars to govern the night. His love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, his love endures forever. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, his love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever. And brought Israel through the midst of it, his love endures forever but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. His love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, his love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, his love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, his love endures forever. Sion, king of the Amorites, his love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, his love endures forever. And gave their land as an inheritance. His love endures forever. An inheritance to his servant Israel. His love endures forever. He remembered us in our lowest state. His love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. Thank you, Nathan, for that introduction. And um, if you turn with me uh, in your Bibles to Psalm 136, we'll, uh, we'll dig into it. Now, um, those who know me well uh, know that I, uh, I'm not terribly keen on very repetitive songs. So uh, when I... Uh, uh, when I saw that I'd been given this particular uh, 
passage to preach on this evening, I smiled royally to myself. <laughs> and, uh, and then I read it, and uh, I was puzzled because um, the, the version of the Bible or the translation of the Bible I most normally read is the, is the Welsh um, Bible. And uh, that's, so oh, I should say, sorry, as well as being given this passage, I was also given the title, which I'm afraid didn't make it into In Touch, namely, um, um, The Loving God. So yes, I uh, saw the passage I had been given, I read it, and in the Welsh version of it, which I most commonly read, no mention of the word love at all doesn't, doesn't appear. So I went for uh, the, the first English translation that uh, came to hand, the New King James Version, read it, no mention of the word love at all in there either, so I was puzzled. It was only when uh, Tina, my wife, suggested that um, I ought to listen to David Suchet reading it out um, in the New International Version, that I saw that in the New International Version, which that we use here in the church and which many of you will have in front of you, um, uh, it does, in fact, translate the refrain as his love endures forever. I should say, by the way, that uh, just to give you a little taste of what the Welsh version sounds like, there's a beautiful poetry in the way that the Welsh Bible um, renders that refrain. It says, I had with a dragareth sydd and dragoeth. Dragareth, the word for mercy, Trago is the word for whatever, uh, for for um, um, forever. A dragareth sees and drago with it trips off the tongue beautifully, and as you repeat it the 26 times throughout the psalm, it is rather lovely. But anyway, there we are. What does this tell us about God and about His character, and in particular His love? We're going to uh, dive into the passage and look at that together, and uh, to give you an idea of how I'm going to structure. The, uh, uh, the sermon this evening, just to orient yourself, because I'm rather bad at breaking things up into points. I basically have four points this evening, and two of the points come from the refrain, and two of the points come from the words between the, uh, each refrain. So there we are. So my first point is this. Just the very fact that the NIV translates this point as love, and almost every other translation translates it as mercy, shows us that the love of God is intimately tied to his mercy. So if you want a, um, a first point, that's it, that the love of God is intimately tied to his mercy. Now, um, I'm one of a handful of uh, preachers here. Um, there are others, I won't name names, you know who you are, who can't get through a sermon without quoting C.S. Lewis at least once. <laughs> so we may as well get it over with. Um, during the last week, I've uh, dipped again into C.S. Lewis's short book from 1960, The Four Loves, in which he expands on the different senses in which we use the word love, both in everyday life and in Scripture in particular. In his introduction, he explains how he first thought that the verse, God is love, 1 John 4, verse 8, would, in his words, provide him with a very plain high road through the whole subject. And he tried to break the concept of love down into two categories. First of all, the giving love, that God displays towards us by giving, and then the need love which we display towards God and towards one another, that is to say the love which is an ind indication of dependence upon another person. But he said this, he said, as every time I try to think the thing out along those lines, I have ended in puzzles and contradictions. The reality is more complicated than I had supposed. And he goes on to describe in detail at least four different meanings of the word love, affection, friendship, um, eros or passion, and charity, based on four different um, Greek 
words. Um, by the way, I, uh, I, always, I, I sometimes like to quote a throwaway comment which um, C.S. Lewis makes in the midst of all of this about love of country. That at its largest, this is for us a love of England, Wales, Scotland, or Ulster. Only foreigners and politicians talk about Britain. Well, there we are. <laughs> but, uh, well, we've heard about uh, um, some Greek words. Um, this, of course, being part of the Old Testament, was written originally in Hebrew. Now, uh, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I've never, uh, I've never studied Hebrew formally. Um, there is a song which, in a video which we sometimes used to show in junior church where each verse ended, I don't know Hebrew, but if you do, I'd like to meet you. Well, um, I do, however, have a copy of Strong's Concordance, and I'm not afraid to use it. Um, if, you don't, if you haven't come across Strong's Concordance, um, it's, a, it's a very large book. Some of, some, some of our Bibles, in fact, my Bible here, has got a very short concordance in the back of it. It's a, it's a sort of index, um, just like you would find in the, the index of any other book. But Strong's Concordance takes this to another level because it lists every single reference to every single word in the entire Bible. So as you can imagine, it's quite a big book. I was going to say it's the size of a telephone directory, and then I realized that very few people under 40 would know what I meant by a telephone directory. But it's a, it's, it, it, it's a big book. And for every word in the, uh, in the Bible, it shows not only um, every occurrence of the words, King James Version in the version I've got, but it also gives you an index to which Hebrew or Aramaic word in the Old Testament or which Greek word in the New Testament has been translated as that particular word in that particular example in the English translation. And then, of course, you can cross-reference. And, and if there are different words used, you can see, well, okay, how is that word translated elsewhere in the Bible? So to cut a long story short, the word which is translated as love in the NIV in this psalm and mercy by almost every other translation is the word kesed, which emphasizes God's kindness. And I'm just going to take you to a couple of other passages in the Old Testament where the same word is used, but commonly translated slightly differently. So uh, one of the first occurrences of it comes in uh, Genesis. I'm going to jump about a bit. You're welcome. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the references in case you want to turn to them or write them down, but I don't expect you to turn to them. It's up to you. But uh, Genesis 20, verse 13. Uh, Abraham is taking refuge in the uh, house of Abimelech, um, the king of the uh, Philistines. And uh, he's uh, explaining how um, Abimelech has been misled into thinking that Sarah is Abraham's sister and not actually his wife. And in the NIV, it says this, uh, When God had me wander from, your, my, from my father's household, I said to her, that is Sarah, this is how you can show your chesed, in the NIV, your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. The English Standard Version translates it like this. When God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of him, he is my brother. So it's love in the NIV. It's kindness here in the English Standard Version. Uh, a little bit further on in the Old Testament, in Joshua chapter 2, verse 12, when... Um, uh, Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho, has given uh, refuge to Joshua's spies. Um, she says to them, Please swear to me by the Lord 
that you will show chesed, kindness in the NIV, to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. The ESV says, now then, please swear to me by the Lord, that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And um, in other to, to look at some other cases where um, the same word is translated mercy again, we can move on, for example, to, uh, um, to Exodus, to Exodus chapter 34, verse 7. This is where Moses, after having come down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, finds the, um, uh, the people of Israel cavorting with golden calves and what have you. And in anger, he throws down the tablets containing the Ten Commandments, which uh, God gave him. And he is summoned back to Sinai um, with another pair of tablets for God to write the commandments on once again. And God shows um, uh, Moses his own glory. And he describes himself as the Lord. In NIV, it says, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, not leaving the guilty unpunished, but he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. In the New King James Version, for example, that is rendered heaping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty. So um, hopefully you get the picture that it's a word which, yes, it means love. We can translate it love to say it, to, to, to um, repeat it as um, his love endures forever, as we've done this evening, is correct. But it's a word also which emphasizes God's kindness, God's mercy, God's meaning good towards us. Okay, that's my first point from the, uh, from the refrain. The second point, this one's quite subtle and you might miss it. But the second point is that this love of God endures forever. Okay? Now, uh, when, I was, um, when I was in my teenage years, I used to do... Uh, I used to do United Beach Missions and go to United Beach Missions Reunion. And at that time, the Beach Mission organization was, uh, was, was run by Professor Werner Wright. Anybody who remembers him will remember what a big character he was. Um, professor of Rheumatology, I think it was, at Leeds University. And he was fond of saying that when the wood is hard, you have to hit the nail on a number of occasions. And with this refrain repeated 26 times throughout this psalm, um, the message ought rightly to have been driven into even the most wooden of us by now. And um, there are a few places in the Bible where this word chesed, together with the, uh, the word for forever or everlasting, uh, comes together as well. Um, let me just look up one or two of them as well for you. So uh, Isaiah 54, verses 8 to 10, a whole block of text, I will read this out for you. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you from a mo for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I have compassion upon you, says the Lord your Redeemer. To me, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. And so I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my same word here, Unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor will my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. And just a couple of other um, places in the Old Testament where the same idea comes. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3, The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, 
I have loved you with an everlasting love. Different word for love there. It's a word which means more like um, affection, affection than kindness. But nevertheless, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with an unfailing kindness. So once again, it's interesting that Jeremiah, having used a different word for love, then nevertheless brings kindness back into it as well. And some of the songs that we're, uh, we're singing uh, this evening, and um, I think the song which we sing at the end as well, emphasizes this everlasting nature of God's love. But I'm afraid that, um, uh, for me, nobody has quite captured the, the force of this quite as effectively as um, Augustus Montague Toplady. What a name. I don't know where the name comes from. But you may be familiar with his hymn, A Debtor to Mercy Alone. And um, the last two verses of that hymn, you're just going to have to bear with me while I, once I found the right piece of paper, read both of those verses out. I've got too many pieces of paper here, but bear with me. It's here, yes. The work which his goodness began, the arm of his strength will complete. His promise is yea and amen, and never was forfeited yet. Things future, nor things that are now, not all things below or above, can make him his purpose forego, nor sever my soul from his love. My name from the palm of his hands, eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart, it remains in marks of indelible grace. Yes, I to the end shall endure, as sure as the earnest, God's earnest, the, the, the Holy Spirit, as sure as the earnest is given, more happy but not more secure, the glorified spirits in heaven. That, to me, underlines as many times as you might ever want it to be underlined that God's mercy endures forever, and we can rely upon that. But to, uh, to move on now then, to go away from the refrain, and to move on to the words which come between the refrains. Um, the love of God is creative. The psalmist chooses to, uh, um, to illustrate this enduring love of God by, uh, by giving us examples. And the first example he gives is um, uh, creation. Um, he, to him who by understanding made the heavens. He made the heavens. He spread out the earth upon the waters. He made the great lights. He made the sun to govern the day, the moon and stars to govern the night, for or because his love endures forever. Now then, some say that God had to create the world because being a God who, who loves, a God who is love, as it tells us in 1 John, that God had to have an object for his love, and therefore that moved him to create the world. He was compelled to it. But in fact, that's, it's, it's quite wrong to think that. That's wrong. Um, God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God's love and God's need, if I can put it reverently like that, to love and be loved, is fully satisfied within the three persons of the Trinity. So we mustn't think that God needs us because he needs something to love. No. Um, by the way, um, it also seems clear that the angelic beings um, were created before us. No, God chose to create the world because he chose in his sovereignty to create the world. That's the only reason. And um, uh, John Berry started 
um, the service this morning by reading out Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2 and reminding us then that it was actually the Lord Jesus Christ himself who did the work of creating the world. Um, God has spoken to us in past times by his, in various ways by his prophets, but he has spoken to us, sorry, in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed out of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. So God chose to create the world, but because of his enduring love. But it's also then interesting to me particularly, and I'll explain in a moment why, the way that the, the, the aspect of creation that the psalmist particularly picks out. He picks out the sun as governing the day, and he picks out the moon and the stars to govern the night. Now, um, as again, most of you probably know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a scientist by training, a physicist. And um, uh, a few years ago, I can't remember how many years ago now, but uh, a few years ago, in one of our Tuesday evening meetings, I did a session on faith and science and the relationship between the two subjects. And um, this has become something which I quite often do now in school sixth forms. If I can get into a school and um, do a, um, a Gideon Bible presentation to the year sevens, um, in some schools they're happy to have me back and talk to the sixth forms about faith and science. So just about three weeks ago, I think, I was in Sir John Talbot's school in, uh, in Whitchurch, um, doing essentially the same talk about faith and science as I did in Wem on a Tuesday evening some years ago. But one of the things that comes through there in, the, in, 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 in history is that there is, a, there is a very definite reason why modern science as we know it and the whole, the, the whole process of um, uh, observation and hypothesis and experiment and theory, there's a very good reason why that um, arose in, 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 more than anywhere else in post-Reformation Northern Europe. And there's also a very good reason why some of the greatest scientists in the history of the world have been Jewish. And that is because what is common to um, Reformed Christianity and to Judaism is this belief in a God who is constant. He has, he, he's given laws which are constant, which are reliable, which we can depend upon, because he himself is a God who is constant and reliable and whom we can depend upon. A few weeks ago, unfortunately, I wasn't here that week because I believe that one of these uh, Sunday evening sermons was on Psalm 19. And Psalm 19 sets out how the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork and that by, uh, by observing the world around us and the heavens in particular, we can learn about God. And the Puritans took that to a, to a, to a, a logical conclusion by saying that to observe the universe and to do to what we would call nowadays doing science is to think God's thoughts after him. That, 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 that God's creation is the second book of his revelation to us. The Bible is, of course, the first book of his revelation, but this creation is the second book. And when we look at creation in a reverent way, informed by what Scripture says, for sure, then we can learn about God that way. And therefore, um, it's entirely appropriate that in wanting to draw us, our attention to God's constancy, and the enduring nature of his love, mercy, faithfulness, kindness towards us, call it what you will, he emphasizes the sun and the moon and the stars, those things which from time immemorial 
even from when people were building temples and pyramids and what have you in prehistoric times, it was the regular movements of the, of, the, uh, of the sun and the moon and the stars which they relied upon. Okay, but we'll move on and with the, the, the final point I want to make is that the love of God is exclusive. Exclusive because his second illustration, the psalmist's second illustration after he has talked about God's creation, he talks about God's judgment. And in, in particular, his judgment upon Israel's enemies. Now, uh, interestingly, by the way, in, back in Psalm 8, in verse 3 of Psalm 8, um, creation is described as being the work of God's fingers. But here, in, uh, in verse 12, we see um, salvation, deliverance, being described as the work of God's arm. In fact, that's that, that the top lady himself picked up on that when he said, the work which his goodness began, the arm of his strength will complete. But it's clear from these verses in the second half of the psalm, verse 10 onwards, that whatever else we can say about God's love, it isn't a general and universal sense of being well disposed towards everybody everywhere. If God did have an attitude of general benevolence towards everyone, it would only take the briefest looks at the world around us anyway to see that any attitude on God's part would be ineffectual. But rather, we're not told that. We're told that verse 10 is very, very stark indeed. He struck down the firstborn of Egypt because his love endures forever. Well, his love for whom? Clearly not the Egyptians. Clearly not Pharaoh and his army, clearly not um, Sihon, king of the Amorites, clearly not Og, the king of Bashan. No, God's love, as, being, uh, as, uh, as described here by the psalmist, is love which is directed emphatically towards the people of Israel, and of course, and, and indeed those from other nations who had explicitly made the God of Israel their God. And there are quite a number of those in the Old Testament. There's Naaman the Syrian, there's Ruth the Moabitess in the book of Ruth, there's the Queen of Sheba we read about in Kings and Chronicles, and, 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 and so on. So ultimately, this love of God which endures forever is the love of God towards his people. In the Old Testament, that is Israel and the followers of the God of Israel. In the New Testament, it's very clear that it means, put simply, the church. The church is the New Testament people of God as surely as Israel is the people of God in the Old and New Testaments. And Paul makes this um, quite um, explicit um, right at the end of the epistle to the Galatians. Those who know the epistle to the Galatians will know that it's a, uh, um, um, a letter that Paul wrote to a church which was getting confused because there were lots of Gentile Christians in it, in other words, Christians who had come from non-Jewish backgrounds, and there were Christians from Jewish backgrounds telling them quite wrongly that in order to be the people of God, they had to become full Jews with circumcision, keeping the law, the lot. And Paul makes clear in Galatians that that is not the case, that the church is the people of God, even though the church consists mainly of Gentiles who aren't Jews, and yet he describes the church right in the very end of the book as being the Israel 
of God. So if we are part of God's church, part of the followers of Christ, then we can know that we fall within this community of people throughout, throughout history towards whom God's love endures forever. Now, does that mean that if we are God's people, we can expect to walk in continuous victory with God's clearing away all of life's obstacles from before us, just as he cleared the Egyptians and the uh, Amorites and the, and, 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 and the people of Bashan away from uh, Israel in this psalm? Well, we'll, 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 we'll know. In Proverbs um, chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, we read, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father whom he delights in. And God disciplines us as individuals, and he disciplined Israel as a nation. Two exiles from their land, two returned to their land so far. Who knows what else is to come in future history? But the important thing to take on board is that God's love is particular. You can be inside God's love, and this psalm can apply to you, but you can be outside it as well. So how can we ensure that we are inside it. This is an urgent question then. How can we ensure that we are inside this enduring love of God and that this psalm applies to us? Well, that at least is very simple. It means putting our faith in Christ. John chapter 6, verse 36, Jesus says, All those whom the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. God chooses us. He gives us to Christ. But when we come to Christ, we needn't trouble ourselves with the question, are we the chosen ones? When we come to Christ, will we be accepted? Because Jesus has told us that we will. He will not drive us away. And we can own for ourselves what God promises to his people in this psalm. So I hope then that anybody who is in that situation, who hasn't yet put their trust in, in the Lord Jesus Christ and haven't yet uh, become part of God's church, will realize that at this moment you are not part of this community towards whom God's love endures forever. Rather, you are with Pharaoh and with Sihon and with Og at present, but there is an invitation and you can change sides and you can join the people of God and know that this reassurance, this promise, this uh, glorious truth applies to you.